0: Well, this morning I wanted to look with you at a psalm that kind of jumped out at me in my reading, and and this is Psalm 46. Psalm 46 uh, was actually, it's not made famous, it was already famous, but um, it's kind of notable as the fact that Martin Luther based his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, or from this psalm, based it upon it. And that's kind of the main theme of this, making God our refuge and fortress in times of trouble. And, you know, a lot of commentators think that this was written later on in Israel's history. Uh, it was Maybe they are facing some sort of national crisis, like a calamity. It's kind of evident from the wording of it that, that they were going through some troublous times. Uh, the most likely candidate for this is the time of Hezekiah when the Assyrians were uh, invading the land and it got to the point where, the, where Jerusalem was surrounded. That was the last free city in, left in Israel, in Judah. Um, but it was under siege by the Assyrians, by King Sennacherib's army. And you know they, helped, they were able to hold out and it's thought this Psalm is kind of an expression of what it was like in those times. But I think I was also struck about this psalm and uh, how it's really applicable as well to the last days, you know, to to the saints of the last days because they will be going through similar times, uh, so to speak. You know, I think you know this people are going to see uh, and experience calamities and have to trust in God's power to preserve them. The nations are going to rage. The kingdoms will be moved, but the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Mm -hmm. Now, the psalm is broken up into three sections, and each is ending with the word selah. That's kind of a, you know, you kind of take note, like, why did they toss that word in there? Um, I was actually kind of researching that, and when you get down to it, Hebrew scholars really don't know. There's not a lot of consensus as far as, like, what, the original meaning was, I mean, there's a consensus on what we think it means. Um, you know the the best guess is it means to pause and to lift up. you know that the psalmist is writing this section expressing, you know, making this expression, and then Selah. It's a time to pause and lift up our hearts to the Lord and and look to God. and it's also with the idea that the musicians would have started playing at that point. Uh, maybe a break to worship the Lord. Uh, and this idea that the people would lift up their eyes because a lot of these psalms were sung kind of as hymns. And so the people would lift up their eyes to the Lord. And, of course, as we, lifting up our eyes to, to the Lord is important because that's where we bring all our, where we get all our answers from as we look to him. And so the title of the psalm is To the Chief Musician, A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, which were the priests, but it says a song for al- alamoth, song for alamoth. Uh, that that word is it's kind of a reference to the soprano voices in the choir. So they would have had choirs made up of different groups. So it's thought that these were probably some of the Hebrew girls in their choir singing, or uh, some of the sopranos singing. And the the Vulgate says the alamoth were the singers of secret things or mysteries probably prophetic hymns. I kind of like that thought. So you kind of imagine this psalm is being sung by a choir of prophetic ladies and they're declaring that God would be the strength of his people as they face a flood of evil coming against their nation. And so let's read this together. It's not too long. Let's read uh, Psalm 46. Starting in verse one, it says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the breaking of the dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. There's one more selah in there. And so this psalm, it kind of starts off with a picture of some difficulties coming upon the land. You know, for uh, Israel, it was a, it was the kingdom of Assyria invading them. Um, you know, it was the rise of nations and empires taking o- over, and it kind of like what, what it seemed like the whole earth, right? The earth was smaller from their perspective, and here was an empire just conquering everything. But you know, that's also a picture of the last days because there is a spirit that will seek to take over the whole earth, and which is the spirit of Antichrist. And the Lord is gonna give him room for a season to try his best to establish a kingdom. And he's going to, you know, Bible says he will establish a kingdom. It won't be the whole earth. There are people that won't submit to him and he'll fight. But, but you know, that's, it's the thought that as this spirit increases, there's going to be a great shaking that will take place in the earth. And and this was shared explicitly by Christ when he, you know, talked about what would take place of uh, turmoil, war, earthquakes, he says this in Luke 21, and verse 10, and he said to, him, to them, which was his disciples, he said, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famine, pestilences. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now, this was prophetic of the early church, um, but its ultimate fulfillment is in the last days before the Lord returns again. And, but yet it's something that, that we should don't have to fear. In fact, he expressly says that, that we're not to fear because God is saying there's going to be a time when trouble will manifest himself, but he will also manifest himself as our refuge as our fortress you know the, this is where the story of Hezekiah get becomes really significant to us um, uh, to the church because you know when it came down to one free city in Israel Jerusalem they were under siege by the Assyrians in 701 BC and you know they, they were facing the threat of annihilation or being taken and planted in different lands like the ten northern tribes they didn't ten northern tribes didn't exist anymore Right. We still don't know to this day where they went. They just kind of got scattered in different places. And so they were facing that. And can you imagine being in, you know, surrounded by the that army, thinking, what's going to happen next? But they just had to trust in the Lord. And then the enemy made a huge mistake. Right. They started to speak against the God of Israel, saying, Your God's like He's no different than any of the other gods we defeated. Uh that was basically the the last the, the the big mistake they made that was their their downfall. But Israel had to trust in the Lord. They had to trust that God would preserve them and save them. And they had to trust in the leadership of Hezekiah at the same time. And, and this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 32:7. These were the words of the king to Israel. It says, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than are with them. That'll be true in the last days. You know, people are going to see a great multitude, you know, coming against God and, you know, following the Antichrist. But we can believe there's more with us than are with them. There's a lot more angels on our side. But then verse eight says, with him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And then notice what it says. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. In this really challenging and scary time, the people were able to find a strength and a refuge in God. And it was through the word of the Lord, through their their leader. And they were able to hold steady because of those words. And of course, we can read it in uh, Chronicles and also in Isaiah and Kings that the outcome was the angel of the Lord came in one night and he slew 185,000. You know, those Assyrians went to sleep and they never woke up. And they were defeated and the, the remnant went back to Assyria. But, you know, the significance of this section to us, to, to believers today and in the last days is that trouble will come. Adversity is going to come. You know, whether corporately or individually, you know, we can face adversity, we can face hardship, and it can be prolonged. And it can be difficult and challenging. The waters are troubled and roaring. uh, And that's scary, because we can be scared of the unknown. What's gonna happen? How long is this gonna keep going on and so forth? But in reality, the whole purpose of this first section of of Psalm 46 is this one phrase. Therefore, we will not fear. That's what it all comes down to. Everything the psalmist is saying, God being our refuge and the waters roaring and so forth. It's that therefore, we will not fear because God is our present help. In trouble you know the enemy knows if he can make us afraid to trust in God well he has us right he can he can do whatever because we're no longer trusting in God we're isolated we're trusting in ourselves or hoping and <laughs> hoping that things will turn out okay that's a dangerous place to be but in shakings there's actually an opportunity to defeat fear. You know, one person said that the whole pers- purpose of of Christians in trouble is to defeat fear and feed faith. I think that's a pretty good description. Mm-hmm. When when the Lord allows trouble to come, it's so that we will defeat fear and feed faith. Of course, faith is what he's speaking to us. It comes from a word of God, it comes from the Bible, from leadership speaking, from you know, his spirit speaking to our spirit. And so how can we defeat fear and feed faith? Well, it's through that, that other phrase that's said, it's because he is a very present help in trouble. God is a very present help. Sometimes because we're human and we're well, on earth, we think he's a very distant help, right? <laughs> Lord, I know you're off in heaven with the angels and you're having a great old time, but would you remember me down here? But God says He is a present help. He is right here. He's here to be with us. He's walking with us. One commentator, commentator said that it can mean that He is a help that is surely found, almost like a guarantee that if we will seek Him, if we will cry out for him, He is a help that is present and will be found. We'll find him in our time of need. And this is a certainty that God wants us to receive and act upon, that he's with us, and we can call upon his name. Like it says in Proverbs 18 and verse 10, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run unto it, and they are safe. And so that safety is found in the midst of every kind of trouble. So Israel fa- faced great trouble. Assyria was coming kind of like a mighty swollen river. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of flash floods, you know, where it's raining miles away in the desert, but that rain just doesn't get absorbed into the ground. It just kind of runs through those channels and it just comes like a mighty raging thing. That That's must, uh, probably what it felt like to those Israelites hearing about the the Assyrians defeating city after city after city, and they're coming their way. It's actually a judgment upon the, the 10 northern tribes, right? Because they refused to follow God. They went after other, other gods, other idols. And so in Isaiah chapter 8, and verse 7, it says, Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria. In all his glory, he will go up over all his channels and go over his banks. And so for the rebellious northern tribes, he was coming. God sent that river upon them as a judgment because they refused to follow God. And so God allowed that river to come. But it only comes so far. And why is that? Because God is, is with us. In fact, it says in Isaiah 8, in verse ten, a couple of verses later, it says, "The enemy. Speaking of the enemy, he takes counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us." All right? And that's one of the names of Christ in His first coming: Emmanuel, God with us. And so, the situation of Hezekiah and the siege of Jerusalem is—it's also a picture of the last days, right? Of a uh, great trouble arising, but God being a refuge for his people. In fact, you can read in Revelation how, you know, there, there's a description of Satan releasing a river to devour the people of God on the earth, but it says the Lord, you know, opens up and that river is swallowed and, and God pre- prepares a place in the wilderness for his people to dwell safely, a refuge And so God is preparing a place of refuge for his people who will trust in him. And so the wilderness actually speaks of a place God wants to bring us to. It's a place where we'll trust in him, we'll rest in him, we'll rely upon him. And the enemy is actually not able to destroy us because we're in that place. Now, the second part of this psalm, the first part takes the longest. So don't don't worry about the second and third part won't take as long. But the second part of this psalm speaks of another river, right? The first part, there's a river of the enemy flowing. but The second part, there's another river. Verse four, Psalm 46, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. So this is a good river. It's a river we want and greatly desire in our midst because it's the river of God, of his life, of his presence. And there's kind of two aspects of the river that we can consider, right? As I mentioned, there's that river that comes from God that we can tap into to receive spiritual life and health and strength. And of course, this this concept of a river speaks of allowing that flow of communion with God, of, of worship towards the throne of God. It's like Jesus said in John seven thirty eight, he that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You know, if we have that communion relationship with God, his river will f- flow in us and through us. And so the key in troublous times is to flow with the life and spirit of God in his river through worshiping, worshiping him, through communion. You now It's interesting, you know, when we, we mentioned that this psalm, uh, Martin Luther based his hymn upon, on this psalm, A Mighty Fortress. Um, but, you know, the refer, Reformation period was not necessarily a fun time. You know, I mean, it was a time when God was moving and those who made a stand for God and for the for the truth God wanted to bring onto the scene, which is the just shall live by faith, they were persecuted. You know, people were trying to, you know, capture Martin Luther, and you know, persecute him. I'm sure some would have loved to see him burned at the stake and and so forth. But he found that God was his mighty refuge and fortress. Um, you know, and it was a time of change, of turmoil. One one writer said, you know, during this time, the reformers didn't protest, they sang. And it's quite notable how many hymns and songs they produced during these times of reformation and these times of of revival, of God restoring his truths to the church, um, you know, during the time of Luther and also during Wesley's days later on, hundreds and hundreds of songs and hymns came out of those times. And so these reformers realized that the way to bring true and lasting change is not to change the the rulers of the day, but it's just to bring heaven down to earth through worship, through praising the Lord and letting His river then flow, because that will change lives. That will bring life. And so we want to follow that pattern and be those who flow in his river, who invite his river to flow in us. You know, we can do that at church, at home, as we lift up our spirits and our voices to the Lord. A river flows from his throne out of us, and that can affect many people. And so, you know, there's a stream, uh, the natural illustration of this is there was a stream that flowed uh, in Jerusalem for thousands of years. It still flows today. In fact, Sarah and I had the, the uh, opportunity to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. It's interesting that that's named after him. You know, they, they created that tunnel so that they could have a source of water that the Assyrians couldn't get to. And it's cold and invigorating. But, you know, it was, it was a sure supply for God's people during that siege. It was their source of life. But it represents the river that God wants to flow through us that will enable us to find God as our refuge. And in doing so, we will not fear. Now, this river from God also has another significance to us. And it's, you know, another prophet in the Old Testament spoke about a river. And, you know, if we read Ezekiel and you get to chapter 7, he describes the throne of God and the temple of God in the millennium. And a part of that description is from that from the temple flows a river that goes out. And what's interesting about it is that Ezekiel is taken through this river by an angel. And at first he's walking through this river and it's just ankle deep for a thousand cubits. Then he goes another thousand and it gets deeper. Now it's to, it's to the knees. And he goes deeper still and it's to the waist. And then he goes farther out and he can't touch bottom. At least... Not that he can stand up because it says it's a river to swim in. It's a river with a current, and that river takes him where the river would. You know, and so it kind of it speaks of like a river where you, you, you can't really fight against a river. If you've ever tried, you try swimming in a strong river, you try swimming against the current, you're just going to get tired really fast. You just have to surrender to where the river is going to take you. And of course this speaks of kind of a progression of our spiritual walk. You know, when we first start out, we try and retain a lot of control over our life. You know, we we say, "Okay, the Lord's in church, but I'm going to try it to the ankles first. And then then we're like, "Well, you know there's so much more God has for us. I'm going to go to the knees." And oh, there's more. I'm going to go I want to go to the waist. But then there comes a time when there has to be surrender and say, "Okay, Lord, if I go deeper, I can't touch bottom. I have to let go and the river is going to take me where it will. You know, it's that place of surrender where ultimately we flow in God's river and we find safety and rest in his current and where he wants to take us. And so real peace is found is when we, we stand up to the fear of the unknown by surrendering, surrendering ourselves to the river of God. Into his current, and where he wants to take us. And we could do that because we know God is good. He only has good in store for us as we follow him. His ways are perfect. Our life is in his hand. He's ordering our steps aright. And he has a plan for us that's good. You know, sometimes we can try and fight against it. We can try and walk against that. You know, but you get to a certain point where that's just not possible because the current is too strong. The key, and you don't have, find a lot of peace in that either. There's just striving when you try and fight against the current of God's plan and purpose. There comes a time when the only way to find peace is just to surrender it and make God your refuge. And so the solution. For the rage of the spirit of this world is found in the river of God and allowing that river to flow in our lives and then learning to flow with him and his river so that he will be Emmanuel. God is with us. Now, there's a lot more to this psalm we haven't touched on, you know, talk about how God moves at the breaking of the dawn. Sometimes you wish he'd move earlier, but he waits till that dawn break. Other times there's, you know, it talks about the power of his voice, how the earth melts at the power of the voice of the Lord. You know, the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age is just going to melt when God speaks in his power. I look forward to that. But then there's the third part, the last section of this psalm. You know, as we learn to flow with the river of his spirit, we find our refuge in him. And then there's an invitation Look at this invitation in verse 8. Psalm 46 8 says, says, For the believers, come behold the works of the Lord. And what are the works of the Lord? It's his power, it's how he's going to move in, in the last days, how he's going to move in judgment upon the earth who has made you know behold the works of the lord who has made desolations in the earth he makes wars to cease to the end of the earth he breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two he burns the chariot in the fire you know i mentioned revelation and where satan is going to try and destroy the people of god but god prepares a place of refuge for them but you know they it's because they've made him their refuge they find that place of of safety They've learned to surrender to his leading and so forth. Like that group in Revelation, they followed the lamb wherever uh, he led them. But it's almost like they've been given a place of safety and kind of like ringside seats to see God now move in the earth. You know, to behold the works of the Lord as he judges the nations and he judges uh, the evil that is in the world. You know, he allows the wars to start and trouble and calamity to come but then he makes them all to cease because he's going to accomplish an end when he's accomplished his purposes. But then what is our part to be in in all of this, right? Are we to join in the battle, you know, to take part in what God's going to do? Uh, Not naturally, so to speak, because the final verses tell us our part. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. And so God has ordained a still resting place for us where we see him exalted among the nations and in the earth. And we learn to rest in him. So Psalm 46, it holds some real significance to us both today and in the days to come because God desires that we learn to rest in him and make him our refuge. And that takes place through his river. As we learn to flow in his river and let his river flow in us as we lift our hearts to him and worship him and seek him and allow his word to be spoken to us and let his life flow from our innermost being Is through communion with God and His Spirit. But it's also as we surrender to the current, to where He would lead us and what He would have us do and where He would have us go and the circumstances He would bring us into. Sometimes it's like nothing's changed about where we are, but what He, the circumstances have changed. And it's like, well, Lord, I don't like these circumstances. But if we fight against them, it's like trying to fight against a river and that current but God has a plan and a purpose for us in what He is bringing us through in the circumstances He leans us into. You know, we have the option of surrendering to Him and let Him accomplish His will, His purpose, and make that our song. And who knows, it might be a song that, like that group in Revelation 14, that no one else can sing because they haven't been through it, but we have because we met God in that situation. And then we will behold the works of the Lord that he allows the, you know, the tribulation to start, but also he makes it to cease. And he has lifted up in all the earth. But, you know, most importantly, it's that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and that we have that opportunity to be with him. Mm -hmm. And as we follow him in our journey. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your message in this psalm. Oh God, we see, uh, Lord, trouble, and Lord, we see the nations raging, Lord, and we see turmoil in the earth, but Lord, we just cry out to you, Lord, that you would be our refuge, and Lord, that you would teach us and train us to make you our refuge, Lord, that, that your river would flow in us, Oh, God, that you would teach us to flow with your river. Lord, just let your your spirit come into our life in a new way. Lord, that we would have a new communion with you, that we could dwell with you, Lord, in that place of protection in your presence, that we can be hidden under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, God, and Lord, we just pray for your grace to to just surrender to to your hand. Lord, we desire to go deeper into your river, but Lord, we know that means surrender and control. Lord, surrendering our lives, and that you would lead us where you would. Oh, God, but Lord, we pray. Oh, lead us, Lord, wherever you would. Lord, help us to surrender to you, Lord, in all that you want to do, we pray. And Lord, that you would truly be Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.